Hi folks and welcome to the latest edition of Plastic Grass Square. This week we're joined by the team from Blue Egg Experience Design uh, chatting about our recent trip to Melbourne for UX Australia 2018. Two days of uh, presentations and talks and catching up with our colleagues from around the country. Um, always a really, really good time each year. Let's join the team and find out what they enjoyed at the conference this year. Folks, uh, welcome to the Blue Egg Roundtable. We're all just back from Melbourne. Uh, we've had a fabulous time at UX Australia, some other assorted Melbourne-related shenanigans while we were there. Um, you probably don't know all of us, so we'll quickly go around the table and say hello. Dustin, starting with you. Hello, I'm Dustin. I'm a user experience consultant here at Blue Egg. My name's Leanne. Um, I'm also a user experience consultant here at Blue Egg. And I'm Amanda, I'm also a user experience consultant at Blue Egg. And Adam, I'm the experience design director at Blue Egg. And I'm Aaron, you've heard me talk before, I think. Um, alrighty folks, so we just wanted to give you like a little bit of a summary about uh, some of the things we learned and some impressions uh, that we took away from UX Australia. Uh, we did a really good episode with Adam a couple of months ago when he came back from UX London and I know like you know even though there was 850 odd people uh, down in Melbourne for UX Australia uh, not everyone's there so I just thought we should have a chat about uh, what we saw so day one folks um, there was plenty of talks we had uh, Ash Donaldson talking about healthcare being sick and um, Chris Harrison talking about finding ethical design in unethical products uh, all sorts of things in that morning session um, what did you go and see? What did you enjoy? I mean, I saw Ash Donaldson speak, and I, I really like the way Ash speaks, and I thought there was a lot of um, empathy with what they were talking about because they've clearly gone out to hospitals, they've clearly spoken to people, and they've clearly um, heard stories of people in all different types of care, and I thought that it was really interesting to be able to take on board that sort of empathy. I think it's really hard in the healthcare space well, very easy to disconnect and say there's a structural problem with things, but to forget the people who are actually affected by it. So I think it's, it was just so important to, to raise the issues in healthcare about how dreadful it is for clinicians and doctors and patients and how terrible it is to use some of these systems, but then the human impact of that. People who are you know, in, in all sorts of different types of care, even I think palliative care was mentioned as well. So it's all very tricky environments. And, I thought it was yeah. I thought it was a really good talk. I also liked the way that he brought the the sketching on and sort mm. of going through that sketching piece was cool. Yeah, the live sketching yeah, was really very impressive. It, yeah, it uh, set his uh, talk apart I think from all the other ones as well because it gave it a bit more of a visual aspect, a, like a live aspect as it was going on, which made it more um, interesting for me. So, I, so I, I I didn't get to go to this one. I was I was doing something else at the time. That th they were like. Sketch noting as they went. Yeah, so right. there was a, a sketch artist on stage with him who was um, live sketching on the monitor mm -hmm. so that everyone could see. Um, and yeah, I think that had like a really cool element to what he was saying as well. Was it, was it someone from Sketch Group who, who did the other... No, um, no, it was someone from Tobias and Tobias. Oh, was, okay. Yeah, I was trying to find his name. 
Yeah, he was fantastic. His sketching abilities were, fun, were great, weren't they? Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, it was interesting for me as well, coming from a bit of that hospital background, I could really relate to a lot of what he was saying. Mm. Um, and the issues that they have with the electronic medical records or the health records, the EHR or EMR, it's, um, just makes things a lot more difficult a lot of the time for the staff in hospitals. And um, so, yeah, I could really relate to that and feel for them. And um, as Adam was saying, it's really like it, it becomes like a human thing. Like the nurses and the staff there feel terrible, obviously, when something happens. But a lot of the time, their technology is hindering them and it's kind of getting in their way of patient care. So, yeah, definitely. Just on the back of that, um, like also coming from a healthcare background, um, just like Amanda, um, one thing that um, really resonated with me and what Ash said was let's just let doctors be doctors. Mm. Um, and I think that with our skills and um, knowledge, like we can do that as people, as humans. We can help doctors be doctors by taking away the constraints of the digital mm. um, side. I mean, it's no easy task, um, but there are steps that are being made towards that. And yeah, I think we should keep on going with it. Mm. So is this, is this something that was, that's sort of been borne out by Ash's work, that like, you know, the digitization of, of the administrative side of, of mm. clinicians' work is actually making their jobs harder yes. instead of easier. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Ashton did a good um, job of telling a story during mm-hmm. the presentation, and the story was of a, a healthcare professional um, who actually made an error um, during mm. her work, which led to a death of a patient, um, and the error <clears throat> could have been overcome by better technology. Um, so that was really a uh, really strong story um, mm. to listen to. Yeah, I um, bet. And I think that Ash said um, that in America, 1,000 patients per day um, mm. die from um, error caused by technology. Mm. Um, yeah. Just in America alone, wow. 1,000 a day. So, yeah, that really enforced the message that Ash was getting across saying that healthcare is sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a mountain um, yeah. to fix that. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really sad I missed that now. Um, what do we go and see after that? Well, I caught um, Ian's talk, Design Culture, mm-hmm. um, and at the beginning he was talking a lot about short-termism. You know, what do we do? We compromise our approach to get a KPI met, or do we um, sort of decide to go? Okay, at the beginning we're going to lose a. We're, we're not going to make the most money, or we're not going to make the. Um, the best business decision, but we're going to be- make the best user decision, mm. and long term that will pay off for users. And I thought it was interesting in terms of that approach. Um, I think short termism, particularly in corporate environments, we see quite a bit, where we provide research and we provide a really clear insight in terms of what needs to be done, and then it gets compromised by different business units, but also by different objectives within the business mm. and so you know the, the these layers of compromise really stop it being um, human-centered and make it sort of business-centered and I think that's where you have this disconnect I think so I thought that that language of short-termism was really bang on mm. and I, I don't think he really came up with a solution for it it was just more how do we address it mm, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, you know Ian was probably not the only presenter last week that didn't necessarily always have solutions, but was perhaps more interested in wanting to start a conversation about something and getting 
the design community to think about things and think about issues that they'd identified that perhaps you know hadn't necessarily solved themselves. Mm. Um, and I think you know there's still there's still considerable value in that, especially when you consider you know the size of an event like UX Australia and the kind of um, thought leaders and influencers that show up at things like that, even if the you know, the presenters don't always have all of the answers. Um, I think between the, you know, nearly 900 of us that were there, maybe we'll be able to come up with something. Well, you did talk about incentives driving behaviour, and I think that's kind of come uh, yeah. out, you know, you sort of see things with the Banking Commission, you know, the, the, the banks have spent a lot of money on UX, but incentives drive behaviour. And I think that's sort of the, the rationale for why, whilst we've done a lot and, and most professionals have worked with banks, um, in the last couple of years, and whilst we've all done a lot of research, mm. these overriding business incentives drive the behaviour, drives yeah. what we actually design, and I think that's the that's the challenge. But you did say one really cool quote, which was, "Decision makers aren't evil; they just don't know any better." Um, <laughs> I thought that's yeah. I think I think that's important to know as well is that we we do tend to to kind of look at people and go, "That's that's appalling, and that person's terrible," but if we have a system that's structurally broken in terms of incentives and driving behaviour, I don't really drive, I don't blame the individual decision maker, I kind of mm. look at how we can look at behavioural and organisational change to to affect a better outcome for users. Yeah. It's a bigger piece, but yes. I think in certain industries, particularly some of those in banking, need to, need to look at it. Well, and I think it's really, it can be really easy to ascribe malice where in fact there's ignorance, mm. um, you know, there's, it's you know, you, you can only make a decision based on what data you have, um, whether that's your personal life data or the data provided by research or whatever it might be. You know, um, I think it's rare that people maliciously make bad decisions. Um, but yeah, hope getting everyone to a point where they're more and better informed is, like you say, a much bigger piece. Mm. Uh, but that's okay. Bigger bits of uh, bigger bits of cultural shift and change are. Are still fun, and I think it's something that, um, as a community, certainly uh, uh, user experience designers and all kinds of designers enjoy doing. Yeah. So um, that was Ian's talk. Um, after lunch, there was uh, a few more talks from then on day one. What, what did we go to? Yes. Uh, well, after lunch, I went to the talk by Dave Hayes. Uh, about designing experiences for people who want to be somewhere else, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a quite an interesting one. So it's about you know services or experiences where uh, we want to make them desirable to use, but how do we make it desirable when that person doesn't want to be in that situation uh, or experience? Right. So he's talking about maybe things like uh, natural disasters or, or things like that where, you know, people have lost their homes, have been uprooted and, you know, out in a shelter or a community center or something. And then how do we provide a, uh, like an experience or a service that works for them in that situation? Right. And then how do you test something like that if it works or not? Because it's, um, you know, the type of place where not many people it, the mindset that they're in isn't of a, of a healthy state. Um, well, it's not like there's someone who's walking into a bank, does a transaction, yeah. and then you go, oh, we've actually got someone here talking about our transactions yeah, exactly. today. Have you got 20 minutes? Yeah. 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 Um, so how do, like, how, do you, how do you test it? Like, does he have an idea? Um, I think 
in situations like that, empathy plays a really huge role. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be very delicate with how you do things and how you you know test experiences in those types of situations, mm -hmm. um, because you know people are kind of not wanting to be there a little bit, you know, angry, frustrated. Uh, so you do have to keep that in mind and be sensitive to that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think one good takeaway I took from that talk was about exit experiences, about making exit experiences easy for the user. So he was talking about um, the example of Spotify, where people want to leave Spotify, it's really easy to cancel mm. your account, and they send you like a little email with the Jackson 5 we want you back song, and then when you log back in, like if you restart your account, all your details are still there and all your preferences. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I, I saw um, the following one after that, which was by Lyle Crombie, which was the how to help when people prefer not to talk to you. I thought that was quite interesting, coming from an ATO perspective. Oh, uh, yes. So, you know, how do you how do you actually talk to people who really don't want to talk to you? I mean, I don't really want to talk to the tax office. ATO's top of my list, that's for sure. I tend to be a little busy when they call. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, how do you actually develop a, a plan to talk to people? And I thought it was really interesting that they talked about um, having a direct relationship right from the start with participants. Mm -hmm. So they, unlike other government agencies, would be very proactive and actually talk to individual people first and say, hi, I'm from the ATO, but we're wanting to do this thing and we want to help you and really try and develop an immediate relationship with participants. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was quite impressive. Um, and I think that was a really clear way to say, look, we've got a very clear problem in trying to get participants to talk about ATO experiences. Mm -hmm. So from the outset, we have to have a direct relationship. We've got to develop a very um, uh, empathetic and sympathetic relationship to customers, potentially at different stages of, you know, being either business owners or business owners who own money or where are they at, um, and then trying to trying to get key insights. I thought that was, that was a nice little shout out for which is potentially a very difficult way, a difficult spot to recruit participants for sure. Oh yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, you, you probably can get participants to come and talk about the ATO, but mainly to shout. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I yes. so. yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, cool, so uh, that brings us to the closing keynotes for day one uh, or Day three, depending on how you count it, I guess. Day one of the conference. Day three, the whole thing was the two uh, days of workshops beforehand. Um, so we had uh, Steve Portigal, um, was the first closing keynote on the Thursday, uh, talking to us about stop solving problems. Um, I, I, I quite enjoyed this. Like, mm. I thought it was pretty good. I know, uh, I think Steve's um, given this talk a few times this year now. Did, did you see it in London as well? Or? No, he wasn't in London. Oh, he wasn't in London. Okay, cool. Uh, I must, must have imagined that. Um, but yeah, I like the idea that like, you know, um, not just chasing the solution to the problem, but actually, unsurprisingly, talking to people and putting people at the centre of the work that you're doing and, and letting their insight and having empathy with those people will lead you to the solution to the problem. Uh, as opposed to just straight up trying to fix the thing that's broken um, is a pretty, you know, I thought that was a, a pretty powerful thing to um, to, to base a talk on. Um, what, did, what did everyone else think? Yeah, 
Mm. Yeah, so I, I remember some of the inventions that he talked about, so like the Segway, <laughs> which never really took off. Mm. Yeah. And then there was the opening of the door with the with your oh, yeah. wrist part of your that arm. That was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to describe never, that more? Um, I'm just <laughs> trying to think how, how to describe it. So on the, the toilet door, to, to exit the door, there was like a little half a cuff, like a wrist cuff made out of metal with little screw heads poking out of the the end of it and the idea was that you'd like use your wrist and then not have to touch it with your hand to leave the toilet cubicle or the toilet itself the bathroom mm. but it just looked like the most uncomfortable thing ever and there was a big picture bigger mm. than the actual wrist thing itself explaining how to use the mm. device and mm. yeah it's just pretty funny <laughs> and then on the back of that he had the pictures of lots of things that look like bins right Oh yes, yes. Yeah, the um- yeah. And so the umbrella. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. And there was, you know, putting signs on these bins to tell people that they don't—they're not a bin. Yeah. Just made people want to put something in it mm-hmm. because they thought they'll put something in it because it looks like a bin. Yeah. Right? And instead, yes. of, yeah. Instead and of changing the design, yeah. they just made the signs bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And more signs. There more signs. Several signs. Mm. Several signs. <laughs> this is not trash. This is not trash. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's instead right. of just changing the design, yeah. the design doesn't work. Stop putting signs up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I liked the the comparison where he had a, a um, an umbrella being held by uh, it was a. Sh- a, a metal container which had mm. outlines of umbrellas and raindrops and had umbrellas in it. Umbrellas. Yes. Mm. You know, so designing for the behaviour you want. Yeah. I yeah. thought that was neat because, you know, you can't just have a, a bean. No, it doesn't work. Stuff in it. <laughs> you know, that was, mm. that's hilarious. Um, and I, I know uh, for myself, um, having run a few venues where we put an, an umbrella holder outside, um, it almost doesn't matter what you use. If you put umbrellas in it first, and there's a couple of sample ones there, people will only put umbrellas in there. Right. But if you just put a thing out the front with a crappy little sign that says umbrellas, mm. it'll get full, full, filled full of rubbish. Mm. <laughs> so it works. But yeah, it really does work. And uh, <laughs> like this, the I, like you know the sample umbrellas um, is uh, yeah, the, that makes a huge difference. Um, I think one of um, one of the the sort of main quotes of Steeds that I talk about took away, you know, going back to what I was saying before, is to step back from a uh, problem-solving mindset and think about opportunities to focus on people. Mm. Um, and that was really sort of the, the core of his message, I thought. Mm. Um, yeah. And robots. And robots, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. I did, uh, I have to say, I enjoyed his uh, snark towards robots and uh, blockchain and yeah. um, <laughs> several other subjects because I... It's not that I share. So well, like, but, you know, it does come back to the fact that often we jump to the solution. Yes. Go, okay, well, we just need to use blockchain and we've got to have robots that will be doing it. And mm. it's actually, well, if we just step back a bit, some of that will be the functionality that will maybe drive the way that it's going to fix it. But I don't think that's the way to look at it. You know, we don't want to look at it by saying we need to use blockchain to fix this thing. So you end up with that problem mm. with the bathroom door. Mm. Yes. We, need to, yeah. we need to use a handle to fix this thing. Yes. Mm. Yeah. We don't. Yes. You know, but you've tried to now make this thing work, even though you might have spoken to people and they're like, "Oh, I'm just happy to push the door." Yeah. You know? Like, mm. yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I don't need anything. I'll just open the door. You know? <laughs> so I probably just need soap in the bathroom so I can wash my hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's, yeah. That's probably the trick, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, all right, so then uh, there was a second closing keynote on the Thursday afternoon um, from uh, John Colco, and that was about uh, creative clarity and finding focus in the midst of ambiguity. And I think uh, ambiguity is something that 
we're all really used to dealing with and coming across, but um, it's still something that really makes people uncomfortable. Like, you know, ambiguity is not an easy thing to navigate, and I think um, the more that we can, you know, try and make ourselves comfortable with not having all of the answers all the time, mm -hmm. um, perhaps the better off we'll be, but it is a super difficult place uh, to get to. Um, Leanne, you were at, at John Colco's uh, closing keynote. Was there anything in particular you enjoyed about it? Um, yes, definitely. Um, so I really enjoyed John's talk. Um, John really enforced the creativity um, side of our job role, which um, was great to hear. Mm. Um, the key takeaway that I took from um, the keynote there was definitely about um, to drive a vision, you don't have to have the answer. You just need a reason to believe. So that for me really, um, really stuck with me because sometimes you don't have the answer, but you believe mm. in it. Um, and to get that message across um, it can be difficult. Um, people expect us to come up with um, answers to problems straight away um, when we need to remember that actually it's a journey to get to the answer and we will make mistakes yeah. and we do need help. Yes, um, yeah. And yeah, it's not a solo adventure, it's a team adventure. So yeah, let, cre let creativity run amok, as yes. John said. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and actually that was like the, uh, that little list of non-secret secrets that he kept talking about. Yeah. The, you know, um, uh, what, what was he saying? Um, so, you know, acknowledge feelings, mm -hmm. uh, tame ambiguity, um, letting you and your team run amok, and... <laughs> okay. um, and, and driving a vision, like, you know, as the sort of the headline uh, of the non-secret secrets were, you know, that was pretty cool, especially the the letting letting people run amok because, mm. you know, like, yeah, and it's not necessarily about, you know, ripping thermostats off walls as an example that he used, <laughs> but, you know, the idea that the free flow, the free flow of creative concepts and, and, and work can actually bring, you know, can actually bring insight and... and and I think it was it's it's I think it's important too to bring some grounding to what we do because sometimes it does feel a bit esoteric and silly. Mm. Mm. Lots of post-it yeah. notes and sharpies and people running around being silly interviewing people, and you know mariachi bands that he brought out. There's <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of fun stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, but you know, it, it as he said, it's about behaviour. You know, and it's about having an environment where people feel comfortable to to do things like that mm. because you're going to get more out of people if they have that sort of space and feeling I think mm. that was really neat mm. Com and comfortable to make mistakes too mm. Mm. and I think the one of the other th the other things that um, he, he sort of talked about that was really good was um, that you know within design teams and within design organizations um, it's really important that the leaders or the seniors or the directors or whatever the you know whatever the position title is are still involved in the doing and the, also the doing of making mistakes and owning those mistakes and letting the team know that it still happens. Mm -hmm. It happens regardless of how long you've been involved in any particular job role or any particular industry. It doesn't matter. You know, you could have been doing something for 40 years. You're still going to muck it up occasionally. Um, and I think, you know, I, I guess it's showing that vulnerability to your team um, sort of helps them to understand that, hey, it's not so bad when, the, when I do it a mistake as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. mm. yeah, definitely. Mm. Remember he said, um, like your story doesn't have to always be perfect. Yeah. But make sure you mm. tell a good story. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So doesn't there's going to be 
bumps along the way and yeah. errors and mistakes and lessons learned. But and make sure you're telling that story to that to the right audience mm. when you're framing the story to either you know fill your team with confidence so they will you know follow you and believe and commit to you mm-hmm. to your idea. Whereas if you want to uh, try and sell it in a different way to show that the creative process is not perfect. Then you talk about you know, all the mistakes you made along the way and yeah. everything like that. Mm. Awesome. Mm. And then we had drinks. Yes. Which were very well uh, uh, patroned. <laughs> uh, we did um, uh, Blue Egg along with our uh, delightful friends from Sustain Digital. Yes. Uh, we put on drinks uh, apparently for the entire conference. It was quite fun, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It uh, was I quite we fun. Were, I think it was a little squishy to, to start with, but I think, you know, <laughs> we fit everyone in there. We did, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it, was good, it was good to debrief the people from the conference and chat to them about the first day. Yeah, well, and I think that, like, you know, um, it's a really important step in how our brains work, um, reprocessing the information that we've taken from the day um, and talking to people about it, you know, we sort of get other perspectives, but it also helps us to cement um, what it is that we've learned uh, during the course of the day in what can be a really intense two days of conference mm. uh, presentations. Uh, also, beer is delicious. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think that is the problem that I have, though, is that it's so much thinking over two days. Yeah. Well, even even more if you've gone to the workshops the other yes. two days. So it's like four days. But I think the two days just for the conference itself, it's a lot of insights and themes just for each attendee to synthesise in their own way. So it's... This is a nice, actually, a reflective way to for us to even collect our thoughts. So mm. Mm. It is. It is really. Apologise if you're listening to this podcast and we're being a bit self-indulgent. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is really intense, and I think um, uh, I'm hoping to be able to talk to a couple of people who uh, one on one who went for the very first time and who were quite new to the, to the design industry and to experience design. Alright folks, that is the end of part one of our chat with the team from Blue Egg about UX Australia 2018. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch, you can shoot me an email, aaron at blueegg.com.au or hit us up on Twitter at Blue Egg Tweets. Please don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you find us on iTunes or wherever it might be. It really helps our profile. Um, if you have ideas for people that you'd like us to interview or chat to, please shoot us a message uh, and we'll get in touch. If you want to be on the show, shoot me a message and I'll get in touch. All right, folks, keep an eye on your feed for part two of our recap of UX Australia 2018 coming to you very soon. Thank you again for your company.